The Glenn Show is brought to you by the Manhattan Institute. Please consider becoming a paid subscriber at glennlowry.substack.com. As a subscriber, you will receive new episodes on Mondays instead of Fridays and get access to exclusive content, ticket pre-sales to live events, monthly Q&As with Glenn Lowry and John McWhorter, and other benefits. Your contribution will also help to fund grassroots initiatives that empower Black development across the country as we donate 10% of our profits to the Woodson Center. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. This is The Glenn Show. Glenn Lowry here. I teach at Brown University, and I'm John Paulson, Senior Fellow at the Manhattan Institute. The Manhattan Institute sponsors The Glenn Show. And I'm very happy to have the opportunity to speak today with Charles Love and Donique Roll. Uh, and I'm going to give them the privilege of introducing themselves so that I don't get it wrong. Charles? Charles. Hey, Charles Love here. I am the co-host of the Cut the Bull podcast and the executive director of Seeking Educational Excellence, a nonprofit focused at helping uh, students reach their goals, their potential and uh, a fellow scholar at 1776 Unites. Donique. Hi, my name is Donique Roll. I am an educator in Florida. Um, I teach African-American history at a public school, uh, ninth grade African-American history. I also am the director of a nonprofit organization for parents of children with special needs called Putting the Pieces Together. And I am so excited to be here. Okay, thank you. You're in Florida, are you not, Donique? I am, Orlando, Florida. I see. Okay, now the audience can see that I'm speaking with two African-American educators, and uh, that's not an accident. Uh, at the Glenn Show here, we like to explore issues of a special significance to the African-American community from time to time. It's not the only thing we do, but it's one of the things that we do. And with respect to the issue of education, I think it's a a very useful exercise to hear from African-Americans who are uh, very much involved and very much concerned about the education of our young people, um, <clears throat> which is why I've invited Charles and Donique to have some conversation with us here. So, Charles, why don't you tell us a little bit about this organization that you're associated with, which has as its mission uh, fostering educational development for young people? Well, um, it had this real kind of naive uh, origin, I guess. So I've been involved about three and a half years and started about five years ago. And if you think about that time frame, you have to think about the cultural shift because at the time it sounds crazy now, but the goal was simply to say, let other people fight and argue politically about you know, how much racism there is and, and how much it affects what people do. There are things we could control. We should focus on those and increase and increase the opportunities for people in you know stress situations, people who don't have the, who are lacking opportunity to either eco, um, economic or academic um, opportunities. And that was the goal, just to say. For instance, recently they talk about getting rid of SAT uh, the SAT test because wealthy whites can afford all of the tests and the training that is necessary to get a high score. And that leaves a lot of minorities behind. So we simply said, well, if that's all it was that, 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 that caused that gap, then the solution may be to 
give the training, raise the money to give the training to the black kids that the white kids have that they don't have. So don't get rid of the test, you know, increase the tutoring, tutoring and the opportunities for those kids to learn at the same level. So those are the kind of things we were focused on. Now, the reason I say the timing is interesting because just after that happened, the culture started to shift, George Floyd and all that stuff happened a couple of years later. And then no one was really talking about the root causes of the problems anymore, right? If you listen to the arguments now, it's all univariant, it's all someone else's fault, and no one else is discussing agency or anything. Well, of course, Ian and people like us, but in general, in the larger scheme, no one else is talking about the things that they can simply uh, control. One thing I ask people on a regular basis is think of all the black people you know, and, and think of the ones that have letters behind their names, MBA, PhD, CPA, whatever the case may be. How many of them are unemployed? To the person, left, right, or center, they all say, I can't think of anyone. So if we know that economics is the key to being able to afford you know, a, a, a successful lifestyle in America, and we know that there are very few Blacks in America in this racist society with letters beside their names that are struggling and they can't make ends meet and they can't fit into society, why don't we help more kids meet that le same level regardless of what you think about racism? Okay, racism being whatever it is, that doesn't stop Black people from taking responsibility for educating our children and so on. That, that sounds right to me. Now, Donique, you are, you said, teaching African-American studies in, uh, do I say correctly, public schools in Orlando, Florida? Yes, so African-American history in public schools, yes, which is a, a, a big difference. And I think that has um, confused a lot of folks, the difference. Because um, African-American studies is an analytical approach to history and to Black experience. But I teach um, African-American history or Black history, um, which, which is, you know, to me, a, a, a night and day difference. <laughs> And I you teach say it to a ninth graders in public school. To ninth graders. I just was going to ask you to say a little bit more about the difference in your mind between African-American studies on the one hand mm -hmm. and African-American history on the other. Would you? Right. So I, I think, like I said, I think it, it just it confuses a lot of people when you hear African-American studies and African-American history. Folks just assume it's the same. And it isn't. So the African-American studies is more, like I said, an analytical approach to what we call the Black experience, um, to history. There is a lot of truths in African-American studies, but it's also met with conjecture and a lot of opinion. And I think sometimes with African-American studies, the truth and opinion gets mixed in together. And you, if you don't know history, if you don't know African-American history or Black history, you would think, the opinions are the truth. And then when you talk about Black history or African-American history, it's simply facts. You cannot argue with facts. We know slavery existed. We know that Black people were dehumanized during slavery. We know that Jim Crow existed. These are facts. Um, but with African-American studies, you can argue about things like reparations or whether or not you think American descendants of slaves deserve reparations. You can argue in African-American studies about whether systemic racism exists today. Um, but in African-American history, you can argue whether systemic racism existed during Jim Crow era, because it did. <laughs> there is facts, there's proof. Um, there were laws written for Black people um, that held them back. Um, but you can argue 
today in African-American studies, whether or not it still exists for Black people. So I think that is the difference. And many people um, just com- mixed up, the, combined the two. It sounds to me, correct me if I'm wrong, like African-American history takes the critical race theory out of African-American studies. I'm yes. asking. Absolutely. So, um, I, yeah. Right. So with uh, Black history, so it's in Florida, I keep hearing people say we need CRT. Um, why is Florida getting rid of CRT? Well, first of all, Florida schools, we teachers don't technically teach CRT. Um, but however, you have teachers that have that background. Um, and so their pedagogy is in a style of CRT. But if you're teaching facts, if you're teaching straight Black history, you don't need CRT. It's not something that's needed because history is history, cannot be debated. Um, it is facts. It, it, it happened. Um, you can't compare the two. Uh, I mean, I think you can learn from the past, of course, but you cannot say uh, one of my colleagues, she's told her students, uh, she compared slavery to the to the to the NBA um, because of not the which the NFL. She compared it to the NFL, and I'm like, what? I I don't understand. And then she made an analogy about how the players are treated, and uh, I, I guess the the physical training of the the players and how the coach makes so much money. I'm like, but the players make millions. Slaves didn't make anything, so that's not even a thing. So. When people talk about teachers teaching CRT, I think they mean that would be an example of her pedagogy, her style of teaching. But um, if you're teaching Black history, if you're teaching facts, you don't need CRT. You don't need um, African-American studies um, because, again, you cannot argue with facts. Okay, I'm going to just try this. A person might say facts don't speak for themselves. They require to be interpreted and narrated. It's true that facts are facts, but history is not simply a compilation of facts. History is, a person might argue, developing a narrative about the past. It's like telling a story about the past. Uh, And you can't escape that. No matter who you are, what your political or theoretical disposition might be, everybody is one way or another going to fit those facts around some kind of narrative frame, and they're going to tell a story. America is a great country. Would you not allow that to be said in your classroom? African-Americans are a marginalized people who have had to fight against the oppression and domination. These are not exactly facts, although they are true statements about our history, a person could argue. So, what what would you say to that uh, the to the critic who wants to preach about Black history, not just list the facts? He wants to get the students oriented in a certain frame of mind. I mean, is that uh, is that something that you would not want to see in your classroom? I think you can definitely talk about the marginalization of Black people, and I think you can talk about that. Um, that existed in slavery, that it, it existed in Jim Crow, and someone even some may even make the argument that it exists today. And I will allow those discussions. I I, I want those discussions to happen, but um, with I would not 
push that on students. I would want to, I, I love debates in my class. So I, that would be a great debate to have. And I would have debates that were similar to that. But I think the difference is I would allow the students to engage in that. And then they would have to, to find sources to back up their point. Um, and the person that has the sources and back up their points, um, I think that's great. They're applauded. Um, and I think, and if we want to do a winner and, <laughs> or, or a person that didn't win, um, we, we can do that. But I definitely applaud those discussions. I welcome those discussions. I don't shut down those discussions um, because I think you can, like you mentioned, um, you can definitely make those claims, but you have to prove it. Huh. Sure. Professor, I don't I don't want to prove it for you. I want the students to talk and prove it. Go go and do their own research. Charles. Yeah, I want to briefly just say I think the big difference. I mean, and that's a really smart way to approach it. But you're right. You need to add some context and something around the facts. But the problem is the that way. So they're in their classroom as they lead from the front of the class, they're saying these are facts. You, you and I and many others write and talk about the problems with the 1619 project. And what it says is, what, what is one of the essays, uh, Kevin's essay about uh, traffic? It says there's an essay called Traffic. Have you ever been in a traffic jam in Atlanta? Did you know that that's tied to slavery? So there is no nuance there. They're explicitly saying everything, every gap that we see today can be drawn to slavery. And people understand these things, yes. as you say, through stories. So I'll give you a quick one. My son, when he was in, and he was six years old in first grade, this is last year, he, it was MLK day. So he, they had a lesson in school about MLK. I'm saying it slowly so you understand I'm saying MLK. He came home, we're sitting down for dinner, and I asked him to turn the light off. And he said, why? Because I got brown skin and I can be a slave? <laughs> he got that from the MLK lesson in first grade. So I would like anyone, right. any proponent of CRT 1619, Purposeful African-American History, to explain to me how that lesson benefited him or is it net positive for anyone in America to be learning today? Okay, so, so this right. is... And the issue I have with some of those things as well is I have students... Um, who are uh, some of my students are middle class, higher middle, upper middle class. And one day, one of the girls asked me, Ms. Rowe, am I oppressed? And I just thought, oh, that's interesting that she asked me that. And I said, why do you ask me that? And she said, because um, this is when the George Floyd, um, this was uh, a couple years ago, actually. And it was when the George Floyd situation happened and everyone was saying black people are oppressed. We need to do something about the systemic racism that's happening. And so she was really um, confused and she just thought she was, uh, her mom's a doctor, uh, very Cosby show situation happening uh, with her, her dad was uh, an engineer. Um, and she just assumed she was oppressed because she was black and Tamika Mallory and all those people told her she was depressed, oppressed. Um, so she asked me and then I said, well, what do you think? Um, and then I, and I gave her an example of what oppression looked like and just taking her back to things that we've studied um, and then I said, well, what, 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 what do you think? And then she was like, I, I don't feel like I am, <laughs> but then you can tell she was very torn because she was told that she was. And so you have lessons like that happening um, in schools. And then you have the media telling them one thing as well, when their life does not depict what other people are saying to them. 
okay, excuse me for saying this, but it sounds like exactly what I would expect to hear on Fox News critiquing critical race theory as an indoctrination of our young people uh, in the public schools, and we have to get control of that. Do you? I'm going to give you now, Charles and Donique, the opportunity to disassociate yourselves, if you would like to, from the label of being Black conservatives as far as education of our young people is concerned. <laughs> Man, as much, it's funny because as much as I write and speak about, I try to maintain, you know, a distance from a political standpoint. But once you add, yeah. you're giving me a chance to disassociate myself from conservatism from a standpoint of what's being to. done in education. Now, I don't think I can. <laughs> I don't think I, I'm having no. to own that. And just take the arrows that may come because I've seen enough <laughs> of, uh, of what the alternative can do that I would, I, you know, I, I won't do that. I, I, I think that um, in many cases there is, uh, I know this is another thing that gets you in trouble, but there is, because um, everything now is subjective and however you feel it's about what you feel and your truth. I mean, there are some truths. And I think what Donique just explained is a perfect example of someone who's living a totally different life from what they're being told black life is like, but because they're told that they think that they wouldn't make this stuff up. It's in the media, it's people I respect, it's my teacher. So even though I don't feel it, it must be true. So I must augment my reality a bit to fit the narrative that's being told about me. I think uh, one of the things that, that, that I will say that's not left or right specific, the biggest problem with how Black America is portrayed is that everyone, they come from a different angle, but I find far too many left and right come from an assumption of Blacks in this kind of negative light. So someone on the left will say, oh, we have to help these poor Black people because they're all uneducated, you know, poor and in prison. And someone on the right will say, yes, they're uneducated, poor, and in prison, but you know, part of it has to be some agency. They have to pull the boots up and they have to put some work in and they have to own some of their stature and some of the uh, uh, work that needs to be done to get them out of that. All that may be true, but we're ignoring the fact that most of us don't live. So I'm screaming saying, hey, most of us aren't in that stereotypical box that you're putting us in. You know, you say crime, crime is bad. There is obviously a disproportionate number of blacks committing crime, but violent crime, still two and a half percent. So I like to scream, we are the 97 percent. What about all the rest of us rich, poor and middle class who are black who aren't committing violent crimes? So either way it goes, there's a there's a perception that that's what black life is like. And I don't know any black people that say I would trade that in to be white, to be other, to be whatever. So I think that's part of the problem too. So while I'm maintaining my conservatism, I will argue that there is a problem with how Blacks are depicted. Nick, um, what's, your, what's your experience in school? You say, uh, I'm sorry, uh, did you say the ninth grade? Uh, social I teach studies? ninth grade. What, what are yes, your other teachers saying? Grade. On, on these issues, I'm trying to ask you on these issues about uh, how you teach the history of black people in America, whether you're an outlier or, you know, you get uh, pushback from your uh, colleagues, from parents. Uh, what's your experience in the classroom and uh, in, the, in the corridor of the school building uh, as a uh, black woman who is insisting on teaching the facts but doesn't want to teach the woke uh, ideology to her to her students. 
Well, <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, my students, I would say that they do love the class. They love what they're learning. Um, I don't, my administrators, believe it or not, um, are in support of what I, what I teach and what I'm doing. Um, they, they, they want the truth. They don't necessarily, I don't know if they want woke or, or not woke. They don't really mention that, um, a lot is because it's one, te- I, I have, there's another African-American history teacher. She teaches it completely different than I do. And I noticed that my administration is more drawn to the way I teach it because I don't sit around and tell students they are oppressed. In fact, the principal do not want us to tell students that they're oppressed. They want them to have um, hope. They want them to look at um, these innovators um, in, in Black history. They want them to see themselves better um, than their situation. They want them to know that they stand on the shoulders of giants. So they they really, they applaud the way um, that I teach Black history. So I'm really grateful for that. I don't feel like I get any persecution from that. However, one year <laughs> teaching this subject, I was one of the parents um, was upset with me um, because she wanted me to teach more in a woke-like situation. Um, she wanted me to talk about um, just the, the tribulations of Black people and how hard it was. And when I was presenting Hope, she had a problem with that. And she was like, you need to start telling um, my my daughter and and other students the real history and that uh, black people are oppressed, black people, white people did this to black people. They need to know about the KKK. And I'm like, we do all of that. However, uh, we don't just live on that because there is so much to black history than oppression. There is that uh, we have so many innovators, so many people doing amazing things. Um, we have a Supreme Court justice who is a black woman, uh, a judge who's a black woman. We have a black man. Um, there's so many uh, wonderful stories in black history other than um, oppression. And so I think that we should be able to teach both. And I think teaching both is complete. It's just when we, you're stuck on one thing. And I think that it's just we're complex. We're not just um, oppression. We are um, innovators. We are, are of hope. We are, um, we can do anything. And that's what I try to leave my students and tell them that you can do anything you want to do. How grateful or how lucky you are to be brought in this particular time right now that you can literally get any job you want. You can do anything that you want to do. Um, there is nothing stopping you. And then I do have students say, well, what about racism? I'm like, yeah, there, there are going to be some, some idiots. There are going to be people that are racist. So what? Who cares? Um, but I can tell you for certain that that is not going to be the vast or the majority of the reason why you're not getting that job. And so I think that they when I told them that they felt a sense of you can tell that they felt a sense of relief, like, wow, you, I, racism isn't going to hold me back from getting a job. Um, so you can. So I feel like I'm um, just combating what the left is saying and, and trying to bring a sense of hope my students, because I'm telling you, they really feel like they're not going to get a job. They're not going to do anything because of racism. Racism is going to stop them for living out there, for living their best lives. So mm. I'm like, I'm here to tell you, no, it isn't. <laughs> Let me just editorialize here for a minute. I, I promise it won't be long, but the thought that these beautiful, infinitely talented young people of color coming along 
in this great country where literally anything is possible would be taught that because of something that happened 50 or 100 years ago, their lives were truncated and would be encouraged thereby to give up, to lose hope, to stop trying. That's really a tragedy, it seems to me. That's a, that's a great tragedy. Uh, so, uh, you know, this, it seems to me the stakes are, are really pretty high uh, here in this conflict. But I'm going to just ask you not to uh, just take advantage of your presence here, Donique. There's somebody called Ron DeSantis. I, I, I hear he's the governor <laughs> of your state. I hear that he's he very is. interested in these questions of education and K through 12, as well as in higher education. And I'm just, I, I want to ask you uh, what you make of the political battle that's uh, ongoing, because Ron DeSantis is a conservative Republican last time I checked. And, uh, yes, you is. know, it, it's pretty controversial down there. And I'm just, how do you fit into that debate uh, about uh, the governor's attack? Attack on, on black history. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, didn't he object I mean, to the, the uh, to the AP more. to the AP history curriculum? Excuse me. I mean, didn't he uh, uh, object to the deployment of that uh, in Florida? The uh, AP uh, course in African American history. He did. He did. The Florida DOE actually uh, put a stop to it. They put a hold on it until they revise it. And Governor DeSantis, um, he he thoroughly politicized it. Um, something that's a normal process. What I would say, from what I understand from other professors, uh, that revisions happen all the time. Um, the problem is it was politicized. It was made a a huge deal when it, it is a normal process. However, um, contrary to the popular belief, Black history is not being banned in Florida by our governor. Um, but the Stop Woke Act, it is very controversial. Um, and it has certainly been making the news everywhere. Uh, but I think what a lot of people fail to realize is the Stop Woke Act actually tells you to teach more Black history. It actually says teach the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, and I think people see the words when when, when he, when there is something in the Stop Woke Act that also says, uh, do not make children uncomfortable, something along those lines. But then people stop there, but then they don't define, look at what that actually means. Like he goes into more detail and says teachers should not tell students that there is an, a hierarchy, that black people are oppressed, that um, white people are the oppressors, um, that one gender is better than the other. So you cannot overtly tell students those things. You can have discussions, of course, but it should be more of a debate and it should be age appropriate. So I think a lot of people mix that. But it certainly um, has turned Florida upside down with what people are calling book banning. Again, we are not banning black history books in Florida. The books that are predominantly being banned for our review are books about sex. And it's mainly in K through third. Those are the books that are being um, banned. But it, it's the Stop Woke Act and governor. our governor has certainly um, turned Florida upside down, for sure. Yeah. Charles, what do you make of the uh, debate about DeSantis? Uh, you're there in New York City where Christopher Rufo is writing uh, for the Manhattan Institute City Journal. My <laughs> affiliation is with the Manhattan Institute. So I'm, I'm just curious, uh, you know, you're active in this space. Uh, how you how you see things shaking out? 
Well, this is, you know, a difficult thing for me in the sense that one, like Donique said, I'm bothered by it because the way it's reported is so, you know, mendacious, right? It's like intentional. It's not like they made a mistake. They intentionally leave things out when they say the Stop Woke Act or whatever it's called. It says this when it doesn't, or they're banning books. And then you just, it's almost like they, they're, they're, they know that people aren't reading enough because our lives are so fast. So the headline will say gay. one thing. And then, Don't say gay. That's another right, one of them. Right. And then in the article itself, it says that that's not the case. It's like, no one's really going to read it. And now he can't sue me for, for telling a lie because the article was true. It's just a headline. So that's one problem. But then I go back to, in all this, what is really happening? My six-year-old really came home and said that. You talked about oppression earlier. Uh, the year before that, or it might have been that same year, they'd said that they were going to roll out this DEI thing. And to their credit, before they did it, they thought they'd invite some parents on. And again, to their credit, they invited me, knowing what I what I think, because we had had several parent-teacher conferences. So in that, it's like six or seven parents, eight eight people from the school, principal, school psychologist, psychologists and such. And they're talking, and they're saying all this stuff, and it's leading. So I just say... Based on what you're saying, I'd like to ask a question. Do you think that Blacks are oppressed today, not in the past, but today? And do you think that we're inherently different from whites? And to a person, they all said yes. So I'm saying if you're going to openly say that you think Blacks are, are oppressed, then, but at the same time, the other side of your mouth, you're saying we need to treat everyone equally. That's not physically possible. If you think my son is less than, you cannot teach him the same way if you want to get if you truly want to get him to the same level, if you think that genetically or inherently he's starting at a different level. So you have to invoke some biases somewhere and treat him differently. They were bringing in uh, they sent out an exciting email from the uh, New York uh, DOE saying coming in a couple of years, they were going to roll out. Um, what do they call it? Uh, English and math. They were going to do um, culturally relevant English and math. Right. Which kind of basically says, you know, we want blacks and everyone to achieve a certain level. But we know that blacks aren't on that level because of all these things in the past. So we're going to teach them in a cultural way so that they can get, get it. So it's like saying, yes, they can learn math. I'm not saying blacks can't learn math. Just in order to teach them, you got to wrap it to them. That's the only way they'll get it if you do it under a beatbox. Right. So that's my thought on it. It's like while we're debating what DeSantis is doing and what others are doing and they're lying about, you know, what they're trying to take out of the schools, they're they're like what was really in, a, in, in that stuff. The, the, the AP African-American studies course was a lot of queer theory. Right. So they're blending black history with this this gender and race and, and um, uh, LGBTQ stuff. And then when somebody says they don't like it, it's because you don't like black history, but you're really, you know, intentionally uh, creating a scenario where you can backdoor some of this other stuff in. But at the same time, you're, you're lowering standards. You're saying we got to teach blacks differently. That blacks, I had one, one uh, white uh, educator tell me blacks come from the oral tradition, right? So, so even if you tie that to slavery, what you're saying is, you know, you're, you're admitting that slavery happened and it's bad. But then you want to tap into all the bad stereotypes from it in order to and then bring it forward 100 years and say, this is what we need in order to excel today. So that's what I think of it. I think it's bad. I think it's, putting, it's detrimental to education where we are already behind. This is exacerbating the problem. There's just nothing positive about it. And I just wish more people would speak up about it.
What are some All of the... Right, I agree. No, I'm sorry, Donique, go ahead if you have something you want to say. Oh, no, I was just going to absolutely say when people are talking specifically about African-American studies, uh, they don't realize or, or, or are paying attention to what's really happening. There is an agenda that is so clear that they are inflating uh, the queer theory, LGBTQ. They're merging those two things together. Um, and in a sense, and in my opinion, is uh, Black history has been hijacked by a lot of these agendas. Um, and I think that Black people really need to pay attention to that. It's not that we're taking away Black history. It is the other things that what DeSantis is having trouble, problems with is other things that are are being presented in a form of Black history that isn't, like what Charles said, the queer theory. And it's fine to have queer theory. It's fine to have the LGBTQ studies, all of that. But when you merge it together and thinking that that is having students believe that this is Black history and when it isn't, that is a problem. Um, and Charles and I were talking earlier, the problem that I have that the administration, administ with the, the Santa's administration is they're not um, stepping up to the plate. They're not coming forward. They're not um, just, they're not stepping up to the plate to letting people know this is not happening. We are for Black history. They need to be, they need to uh, be forward in this, uh, forward in it happening and because the media is just going crazy with it. And then they, I feel like they're not doing a great job of just really stepping up to the plate and defending Black history. If you say you're not getting rid of Black history, you're not banning it. They are not. But what do you do? Let's, let's push forward. Let's, let's get in front of it. Don't let the media, the left media, take control of the whole narrative. You need to be in front of it. And that's one of the issues that I have with the administration. They're not in front of it like they should be. Okay. You have both mentioned the LG. E-T-Q-I-A plus agenda. You didn't quite say it that Take way. <sighs> Queer theory. So I'm, I'm thinking intersectionality. I'm thinking Kimberly Crenshaw. I'm thinking statements like, you know, a threat to liberty anywhere is a threat to liberty everywhere. I'm thinking human rights. Do the claims of Blacks to be free from historical oppression stand on really any different ground than the claim of a gay or lesbian or transgender person to be treated without uh, discrimination or disrespect? Is it really a different claim? And I'm just going to ask you to defend this proposition that you guys have put on the table that of hijacking. I mean, I'm playing the devil's advocate here because that's my job, okay? So don't get mad at me for asking you to justify why it is that the history of Black people's struggle shouldn't be appropriated on behalf of the uh, more extended humanitarian agenda of liberating from oppression other kinds of minorities, including sexual minorities. What's wrong with appropriating African-American history to that end? Who would Charles, you like you to go? Oh, I was hoping you'd say that. Uh, well, see, well, first of all, <laughs> first of all, I, when I was doing this, when she talked about queer theory, because she, I understood her point. She was like, you know, but hey, if you're going to do queer, queer theory, that's fine, but you know, to keep them separate. I'm like, no, no, it's not fine because part of what she said before, which is true, is a lot of the fight is age appropriateness. So it's not just whether or not, like, I would say it's fine to have these debates, maybe middle school ninth grade, definitely later high school and college, but that's not what they're doing. 
you know, I am fortunate enough to your 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 viewers and listeners to get a chance to, to talk to the great Glenn Laurie and others, you know. Thank about you. once a month, we have these calls and we talk about it. I share some of this stuff. We should record some of those calls. But I talked about how uh, a couple months ago about how my son was reading Sparkle Boy and and Jacob's New Dress and how they did three weeks in class on gender uh, stereotypes, but it seeped into what, what girls and boys can and cannot do and what how they're like and that kind of thing. So he's seven. What grade? Oh, Lord. He's in second grade. Yes. So they they were they were so it's not it's not right pushing the envelope of all the stuff you see on the TV, but they're they're getting close to it, right? They're they're, they're prepping them for it. So that's the first thing is when you do it. But beyond that, I mean, you may hear this argument before, but it's it's a legitimate one. If if all of these LGBTQ issues that you're fighting against are human rights and they're equal to that of any other human, then you don't need to hijack, right? It stands on its own. You say, this is what I want, this is what I expect, and this is what I demand. You don't have to say, like Harriet Tubman, or or they'll say stuff like, they'll say, I think that person, this person, you know, this person in history with the black history who did all this, he was also gay. Or, you know, they try, they try to tie, literally tie it together. But we, a lot of people, you use the term, a lot of people use the term hijack because it is in the sense that when you talk about liberation, what are they being liberated from? Even if we give them their argument, as my coach says, even if we give them their argument and say there are there were mistreatments in that community, which are true. When you hijack, you're saying they elevate to the, that there's no difference between them. So telling someone that because you're gay, we don't want you in this space, which we may agree is wrong. It's saying that's the same as owning people as property. Right. And. And the treatment for many decades, for a hundred years of, of a people is the same. It's ludicrous. It's simply not the same, right? And, and so what they're doing is they're saying that when we fight for those rights, those rights are the same. But outside of marriage, that thing they argue, which is a, a weird case in itself, nothing else are they, that they argue are inherent to your human rights. No one's saying, because no one's saying you should be able to physically attack someone who's gay or something, right? So even if you're against and you're saying, well, I'm against gay marriage, and they say, I don't think we should be highlighting this or celebrate, we should have pride parades. We shouldn't celebrate it. Let them live their life, but we shouldn't celebrate it. Or we shouldn't have a, a character on every TV. You may disagree with that and say that's wrong headed to think that way, but you can't say it's the same as the way blacks were treated, even just in Jim Crow. It's simply not the same. Right. And so they, they're only using it, not because they think there's a tie to it. They think they used it because it was effective. They saw a, a blueprint of how to effectively move the country in a, in a, in a direction they want to go. So they want to tie them together. But it makes no sense. Uh, I want to hear what Donique has to say about this as well. But just give me a minute to ask Charles a question, which is, uh, okay, they're not the same. I can go with that. How come then that um, every black leader of any prominence politically that you're likely to find from the White House on down is acting as if they were the same? Wow, that's good. Um, the why is hard. Um, some of it, it, you know, they vary. Some of them are because it's you know, political expedience. Um, some of it you can just say, you can you can chalk up to ignorance. 
Uh, some of it, I gotta honestly say, I, I don't, I don't see a logical uh, reason for doing so. It's kind of like when Biden said, "A new voting, you know, talking about voting laws in the South, right? Whether you think that they're too onerous or not, the fact that he says it raises to the level of Jim Crow 2.0, you know, it it it, it, it made me just want to, you know, you know, break something because it's like. Usually when you got a 2.0, it's the new and improved version, right? So it's supposed to be bigger, stronger, <laughs> and better. So he's implying that whatever these laws are, that might be a little unfair. He's implying that those laws are not only equal to Jim Crow, they're greater than, right? And he can't believe that. So I would have to think like that, that they're playing chess and they think if they, they say these things and they move, move in a certain way, they're going to get you know, dollars, because look at whether, I mean, now granted with the you know, Black Lives Matter was a whole, you know, you know, wonderful windfall of money for, for the organization and, and, and many other organizations tied to them. But maybe they see it that way. Maybe they see if they tie their horse to that cart, there will be long-term financial gains because there's no reason, there's no benefit. There's no benefit to the people, especially if they're representatives, if they're pol politicians who represent areas that are so-called, you know, um, black communities in need. There is no benefit to the South side of Chicago for their congressmen to get up and say, you know, what well, we need to put, there's no benefit for them to push illegal immigration than they do it, right? Whatever your views are on that to say, my constituents are struggling on the South side of Chicago and I need to do what's best for them. So I'm going to sign every and back every piece of legislation I get that's going to bring more people here illegally that's going to counteract any positives we're doing for the constituents I claim to care about, but they do it. So I would put those two together. There's no logical reason, but I don't know if I can give you a definitive answer as to why they do it. But I admit that it, it happens. They are open, openly and, and, and vigorously defending everything else and equating the two. Okay. I think there is an answer. I think they just, they, they found a new voting base. Um, I, but it can't be that I large. think as simple as, as how large is that voting base? As simple as that. They that's what they I think they honestly think that because there's no logical like you said, there is no logical reason why you are putting those two together. Like to me that it is illogical. Um there is no laws that are written against them. There is uh, you don't have over over four hundred years worth of oppression. You don't have a, a over 100 years of, of set laws that specifically aimed at you, telling that you can't get a job here, you can't go in this space. Um, and mind you, I'm not undermining because I, I know that some of them are um, being discriminated against. I, I get that. Um, but I, I feel like it is dishonest to say that the majority or a lot of people are against the LGBT community when a lot of us have cousins, aunts, uncles that are a part of the LGBT sure. community. And we do not hate our family members. They have been existing forever. We love them. And so I just think it's interesting to see that now you feel like when you feel like you're being oppressed, you feel like everyone's against you. When you are literally winning, you are in every space, you are in every workplace, you are applauded. Um, people um, want to be around you, want to, are, are putting you in political spaces because you are uh, a part of the LGBT community. I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand um, the idea of, of just putting those two things together because they are completely separate. If you want to have your own 
struggle, define your own. I think you should do that, but do not blend it in with another group of people. Do not say that we are the new black people, because I've heard um, some people in the LGBT community yeah. say that as well. What does that even mean? And one, one last quick so, thing, if I, if I may, I'll be quick, though. Like, I know that there's a there's a problem with it and, and people kind of roll their eyes when you say it. But there's something to the fact that it doesn't make it right. I know we're all about living your life. You should be free to live who you want. It's not fair that you have to hide it. But it's something to be said, uh, because in the 50s, if you go back to the 50s, there were literally things that they could not do. There were jobs they could know, things of that nature. But they had the ability to say, well, because of that, I'm going to hide the fact that I'm gay. I'm not saying they should, but they could. But if you were black, you couldn't say, well, they, did, they got all these Jim Crow laws. I'm just going to hide the fact that I'm black. So there's something to be said for that as well. I, uh, I don't know if uh, these, all these comparisons uh, really add up. I mean, there's no doubt that being black and being gay are not the same thing. I think we can all stipulate that. But here's some arguments. One of them is the enemy of my enemy is my friend, which is to say there exists conservative quarters of American culture, let's call them white evangelical Protestants or conservative Catholics like the people on the Supreme Court that the liberals don't like. Mm -hmm. And today it's you and you know you're the, uh, making your arguments about racial equality and whatnot. Tomorrow it's going to be uh, the gay people and you know it's coming from <laughs> kind of the same source and we're allies here. We're, we're, we're kind of cousins or something like that fighting in the same laboring in the same venue, fighting against the same forces, and uh, you, you take your allies where you can get them. Uh, and then the other but, thing is, uh, just to say, if you've, been, if you've suffered oppression, you might be more sensitive to perceiving oppression, and you might empathize with people who are going through struggle, uh, and something like that. I'm trying. I'm trying to uh, right, right, give right. Here's a, here's a problem the with both side. of those. But here's the problem with both of them. The second one is like, let's be real. That politician with this uh, expensive tailored suit and all that money coming in hasn't really, he's not comparing his oppression because he he today hasn't been oppressed. So, so he's not taking his oppression to compare it to and say, I'm more sensitive to, to others' oppression because of mine, because as he's talking about his lived experience, because I'm sure his lived experience is pretty great. But the other piece is, I get the two allies, but... A lot of the black uh, community, obviously the whole culture shifting, tends to be pretty evangelical themselves, right? So their beliefs, you know, their cultural and their religious beliefs are against that group, right? Now, maybe not the politicians who are speaking out, but when you go into the community, when I talk to my friends and family people in my circle, uh, they're not as violently anti-gay as people were decades ago. But they're like, oh, I'm not having this, right? They, they don't see the tie and the connection because they don't feel that, you know, from a moral standpoint, they don't think morally it's right, right? So they they don't think it's really the same, you know, there's an allyship there, but the, but their leaders, as it, as it were, the politicians say that there is. But they're wrong. They're, they're wrong in 2023. I mean, first of all, they, they're pushing uh, against the the wheel of history to a certain extent. I mean, you can't undo the changes in mores and stuff that are very widely advanced. It's not a matter of law. It's a matter of social custom. There's been a revolution in the last half century in ideas around sexuality. And if you're going to take the stand today that against gay marriage or uh, against uh, gay rights, are you going to refer to them in the third place and they this and they that? Uh, a lot of people are going to call that, including my son, Glenn, who's a gay man, 
He's going to call it homophobia. And he's going to say, I've seen the enemy. I've met the enemy. I know the, who you people are, you black Christians. And you threaten me. You threaten my, you threaten right. my uh, ability right. to live my life un, in an unfettered fashion. So, I mean, maybe our responsibility is while we protect our children against the inappropriate introduction of sexual themes to them when they're seven years old, also take up the responsibility of educating some of our co-racialists that uh, the year is 2023, not 1953. I offer that yeah, to your... Where does that slope, where does that slope stop slipping? Because you're going to look at what the culture is doing on the back end, right? So as an adult, I say people should be able to do what they want. I don't have to like it, but it's not for me to say not. But even when you get beyond the age appropriateness, you get to the point where we see the madness in TV and Twitter and the theater and all that kind of stuff. So you know, that Overton window is going to continue to shift. So we're going to, even rational people like yourself, are going to go from, you know, you know, the 50 years, the culture shift, this is what it is today. You got to stop fighting against it. So you're going to be like, how do we get to people, 60 genders on every government form, right? So at some point, we have to push back or else it never stops. Okay. Donique, did you have something you want to add? I just think, Oh, I think Charles covered it. Uh, he he certainly covered it. I just think that a lot of people are still living. Um, I think Charles Charles alluded to the area earlier in in the fifties and the sixties, and um, just living in the past. Like a lot of that stuff happened, and 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 I don't think anyone argues against that or is saying that it didn't happen. Um, but if you in twenty twenty three, um, we have again gay family members who are out. Some of our brothers or sisters or, or children. Um, are living that life lifestyle and we're not hating them or wanting harm against them and we'll protect them against anyone who is do who's doing that. But I think at some point we have to realize that we've progressed as a people, um, that we we've evolved and we're we're different and we're better. And so I think that has uh, to take an account for something. Okay. Um we're getting on toward the end of the hour. I just want to ask about uh, charter schools and I want to ask about homeschooling and about the extent to which those factor into you all's thinking. I know you're a public school teacher, Donique, uh, but uh, there are movements afoot to enhance opportunities for young people. Uh, charter schools are public schools. They just happen to be independently run. Uh, and uh, homeschooling is a growing phenomenon amongst African-Americans, uh, just as it is in the country at large. What, what are your thoughts uh, about alternatives to the, the if the woke uh, teachers union folk have got control of the classroom agenda in many public schools? What are some of the alternatives that black parents can think about availing themselves of? I think homeschool is absolutely Fantastic. And people always look at me side eye because I'm a public school teacher. And I always said if if my um if I had a brand new kid, I would one hundred percent homeschool just because I, I see what's going on with the teachers and, and what's happening with in the in the union and all of that stuff. Um, but I think that is a great alternative. More black people, like you mentioned, are homeschooling. Um, are are staying at home with their kids and educating them, them themselves. And I think that's Fantastic. There's a lot of um, groups. Some people say, well, I can't afford homeschooling, but there is um, community there in Orlando right now. You have small groups of parents um, that are 
are homeschooling their children, that are there working with peeps, other parents in, the, in their neighborhood. They're calling their teacher friends that are coming over to do small study groups. So you have other alternatives than um, a public school um, situation if you're worried about the indoctrination. Um, and I think a lot of Black students right now are thriving outside of the public school system. And I have so many friends who have chose to get their kid out of public school system into a small um, homeschool uh, situation or a community uh, uh, education group. And they are absolutely thriving, doing better now than they've ever done in public school. And I think that, that Black people should continue um, to look for other alternatives. And, and if you're talking about Black history, I wouldn't rely on the public school to teach you about Black history. I think this is something that we need to teach our children um, about the history of our people and not wait and to not wait for educators to do that. Because what you're finding, what you're gonna find is you're gonna find these teachers with blue hair, teaching them about how oppressed they are. And you're, you know, you poor little black kid, um, and you, you know, and compare you to, to continue to compare you to people in the 1960s who were water holes and who were beat when they have not been beaten, when they have not been water holes. Okay. Charles, I'll give you the last word. Well, you know, I have an interesting take on it. Is I, I'm a fan of it. And obviously working in education, I'm so close to people that, that, that are passionate about it. A lot of the people are doing it. But I'm one of those that say we have to continue to fight for everyone else because as these numbers rise so greatly, and I think it's a wonderful thing and it's a perfect, for, you know, the right fit for a lot of families. That we're never going to get as high. I mean, what is it? 93% of, of all the students in, in America are in public school. So maybe we get it to 75%. You know, that's a big jump, but you're still going to have most of the kids in public school. So as much as I advocate for charter schools, private schools, you know, all the alternative schools and homeschooling, we still have to do something about the public schools as they are, because that's where the majority of the kids are going to come, come from. And if we don't fix that, we won't reach all the kids until uh, Donique's comment about Black history, since we open with that, I want to close with that. I'm always thinking of interesting ways we can solve this problem. And one of the things is Jewish kids, Chinese kids, Lithuanian, all these other kids go to these day schools on the weekend and learn about their cultural heritage, whatever. Maybe we should just start teaching Black history on our own, like on a Saturday school standpoint. Just every go to school Monday through Friday, and on Saturday you go and you learn about your history. So some of it would be in a public school, but like you say, stop expecting the government and everyone else to teach your, you're talking about expecting the government to teach your culture. That makes no sense. If you believe it's that important, you should do it. And if you don't think you're equipped to do it, then find, you know, a school around you and create some schools that teaches it, to, that, that will teach it to all the students. Okay. I can't resist this, Donique. You're, you're teaching social studies and you're teaching black history. Who are some of the heroic figures that you put in front of your uh, young people and, and offer up as the exemplars of the best and, uh, and, and brightest and most noble and, and, and important figures in Black history? We certainly talk about Malcolm X. Um, we actually just had a whole lesson on, the, on Malcolm X and the Black Panther Party and what they stood for. There, there are 10 points. Uh, what they would like to have in their community. And my students, they, they were absolutely floored by that because there is the misconception 
and you have their violence. You have Martin Luther King, you have Malcolm X. One was nonviolent, one was violent. And so I think um, you, we had, I had to kind of squash all of that and say he's fighting for the, both are fighting for the liberation of black people. It just looks different. Um, there's so, I've introduced him to Thomas Sowell, um, just a variety. Like we, we've talked, we of course talk about everyone that you're used to the Rosa Parks, the Martin Luther King, that, you know, the Booker T. Washington, um, we talk about Frederick Douglass. So, so many of them, because I think that in the public school system, you're, you're kind of limited to Malcolm X, I'm sorry, to Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks, the end. Um, and then if you're talking about your newcomers and then you have Ike Kendi and and um, Crenshaw, they're into it. And I, and I think that's fine. You can introduce all of them, but let's 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 open it up to a Thomas Hall. Let's open it up to Booker T. Washington and other people as well. So I think teaching a variety of our uh, black leaders is, is very important um, to not just have one per- one perception of what blackness is. You need to have. Um, you need to have all of it. So I think that is very important just to introduce students to these names that they might not um, have known or will probably not hear of, hear about um, until perhaps college. So that's important. What do, you, what do your students think of Justice Clarence Thomas? Do you know? They honestly, my, you know, I teach ninth grade, so they just know that he is a black man on the Supreme Court. Um, they're not into the political, the politics. They, they don't know that he, that people refer to him as an Uncle Tom. Um, they don't, you know, they don't hear all the rumors and they don't hear all the negative stuff that's happening. Um, they don't know much about the new Supreme Court um, justice either. So I had to talk to them, you know, basically explain both ideology and their beliefs and, and what they uh, what, what they're all about. Um, and they're just happy that there is two black people that are in the Supreme Court. And that's all they pretty much <laughs> uh, care about. So they uh, I keep telling people students aren't political, whatever you tell them, that's what they're um, going to spill. But, but you have to give them a, a balance approach, a history, a balance approach to what's happening um, in their world and not just tell them one one um, point of view. OK, well, um, they're going to leave knowing who Thomas Sowell is. Everybody should know who yes, the great Thomas are. Sowell is. That's that's true. Even if they don't agree with every word that he's written. Uh, he's a towering figure in 20th, 21st century American intellectual life, a great man. Uh, I have a problem saying that. Uh, but in any case, I'm going to sign off. Glenn Lowry at The Glenn Show. I've been with Charles Love, New York City uh, educational activist and affiliate scholar with the Woodson Center in Washington, D.C., and with uh, Donique Roll, who teaches ninth grade social studies in Orlando, Florida, and speaks for herself. We got to say that. So thank you both. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.